Hi, folks. A warm welcome to St. Peter's Barge uh, this lunchtime. Um, if we haven't met before, my name is Callum. I'm the associate pastor uh, here at the Barge. And a warm welcome um, if you're joining us on Zoom as well, tuning in uh, online to our, our Wednesday live stream. I mean, today is a, a bit of a break uh, for the uh, coming weeks uh, from our regular program of Lunchtime Talks, where uh, we're launching into a series called uh, Share Life. Uh, the fundamentally, uh, the Christian, at uh, the heart of the Christian belief is uh, that we have found uh, life and life that is everlasting and good and full of joy. And so uh, we want uh, to be sharing that with colleagues across Canary Wharf. And so uh, these talks are all uh, designed to uh, be able to uh, bring uh, people who have uh, never uh, explored uh, the claims of Jesus or Christianity for themselves and to have a look at them uh, for themselves. So please do uh, be thinking about uh, coming along to these and uh, inviting other folk uh, as well. So today is the first in our series, and it's a great uh, joy to welcome uh, Jason Freeman uh, from the CMA. Uh, he's going to be speaking for us shortly on uh, Is the Bible Inclusive? But do take away these flyers, have a look at the rest of the talks, um, and uh, you'll notice that uh, one of them um, is uh, hosted over at KPMG, so that's uh, on Wednesday the 20th, 4 until 5 p.m., a little bit of a strange time, but it's Akil Sachak, um, who is uh, pretty senior at Rothschild, uh, speaking over there. And that one you need to book in for... Um, there's limited space available. We'll circulate links uh, on how to do that. That will be via Eventbrite. So do get that in the diary uh, as well. Um, but without further ado, let me uh, please welcome up Jason. Um, and Jason, why don't you uh, begin by just telling us a little bit about yourself, um, your role in the wharf, and how long you've been here. But over to you. Thanks very much. Uh, well, thanks very much for coming. Good to, um, good to be with you. I'm a lawyer at the Competition and Markets Authority, so I've been coming to these talks, although usually I have tended to go on the Thursdays now for... A while. Um, I can't remember exactly how long. Just before lockdown, I think. So, anyway, and this this is a talk which I first um, uh, gave to some colleagues in the Competition and Market Authority as part of National Inclusion Week, and uh, I thought it'd be helpful to share with you some thoughts about is the Bible inclusive? Because all of us have different views about the Bible, and I wonder if I was to ask you what you think of the Bible, what you would say. Uh, some people might think it's not a message for me; it's for other people. Uh, some people might say it's out of date. Um, or it condemns me, and actually the Bible has a lot to say on the topic of inclusivity, and um, I think at least it's an important, it has an important contribution to make to our current discussions about how we should all live together. Um, and uh, just a few words about my approach to reading the Bible. So I read the Bible from a Christian perspective, it's a perspective of faith, but also uh, when we're thinking about, for example, the Old Testament, I would read it in the light of the New Testament, I take a reformed approach to reading the Bible, so that's, uh, that's my approach. And, and broadly, it's sympathetic to the text. I'm not um, proof texting, although you will find on your tables there's a, a sheet of um, extracts from the Bible. Um, you, you should read these in context. Um, and uh, I, I take the Bible as being God's message to all people at all times, including us today. So it's a message which has um, relevance for everybody, and it is primarily about Jesus Christ. It's about how human beings can become God's friends through Jesus Christ. So there is an outline of what I'm going to say uh, on the blue sheet, which you'll, you'll find, and you might want to uh, scribble down things if you'd like to do that. And the first thing I would say is the Bible gives everyone equal value. Um, so in the, uh, the, the white sheet of Bible extracts, you'll see Exhibit 1, uh, lists a few passages, and uh, there probably isn't time to read them in detail. I'm just going to give you some highlighted thoughts. 
Uh, For example, when Paul was telling uh, the Athenians about God, he said, from one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. So God made each one of us, in fact. And and the psalm, Psalm 139, points out that God makes each person in the womb. Each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, and all of our days are ordained by God. So God has an interest in every individual on the planet that there has ever been. In Genesis 12, um, the next passage, God made this fantastic promise towards the start of the Bible about blessing all nations uh, and in Matthew's gospel, Jesus talks about how uh, God provides the sun and the rain to everyone, irrespective of what those people think of him. So we can say from these passages, and indeed other uh, things in the Bible, that all of us have the same value and are equally valued by God, and we are all made in God's image. So you might look at yourself in the mirror and have views about yourself, but one thing you can say is that you are an authentic expression of the image of God. Whatever your uh, skin tone, whatever your wealth, whatever your uh, perceived attractiveness, you know, whatever it is, you are an, an expression of the image of God. Whether you're fully able-bodied or less able-bodied, you are beautiful in God's sight and you have purpose. And all of the richness and diversity of the, all the cultures of the world exists to glorify God. So in the next um, passage from Revelation, which is from the end of the Bible, we have this image of people in heaven, if you like, praising God. And when they they look, when John looks, he sees this multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language um, praising God. So that's the, the goal, if you like, of our salvation, is that people from every nation, every culture, will be recognizably diverse, but united in praising God. And so we have this great image of equality, don't we? The Bible is an inclusive manifesto for the rights of all humankind, and that informs how we treat each other. So we can say the Bible gives everybody equal value. Well, the second thing uh, is that the Bible is a message for everybody. The Bible describes a God who speaks and who commands how we should live. Uh, so from the beginning, he has set boundaries for human behavior. So as well as giving us this great value as human beings, he has also given us duties. And this is the, the second uh, group of passages, exhibit two, if you like. And in Matthew, Jesus uh, is asked, well, what is, what, is the, what is it that God requires? And he, he gives these two things. He said we should worship and glorify God. Uh, so with everything we have, with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. So that's about enjoying God. So our primary purpose and goal as human beings is to relate to God and to find our fulfillment in him. And this is a message that God gives to everybody. And secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So show grace to your neighbor is what Jesus describes elsewhere. So, and, and we can also say as a third point that we are called to work together to care for the world as God's deputy. So I said we're made in the image of God, but that also means that we stand as representatives of God to creation to care for the world and to carry out functions of um, preservation and protection. You know, taking the plot of land that you have responsibility for and making it in a better condition for the next generation. That's how John Calvin, for example, saw one of these commands in Genesis, the Genesis 2.15 command to work the garden and take care for it. So God has set boundaries for us. And without boundaries, of course, people take more than their fair share, they harm others, and they damage the natural world. That's what we do naturally. 
we need boundaries, and God has given us those boundaries, and that's a message that God has for all of us, for everyone. It's an inclusive message. Well, the next thing we can say is that as part of that message, and in a sense this is bad news, we are all equally under condemnation. Uh, When we think about those three commands which lie at the heart of what the Bible uh, says is required of each human being, have we respected the boundaries that God has set? Well, the answer to that, sadly, is no. We haven't respected the boundaries. Look at yourself and look at others around you and consider whether you love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. None of us do that. Um, Sometimes we like to justify ourselves and say, well, there's reasons why. Um, But as Jeremiah says, as uh, the first uh, extract from Exhibit 3, the heart is deceitful. Uh, We always con ourselves into thinking that we're okay, others aren't, but we're not. We're not okay. We've all of us alike have failed to fulfill our duties, and we therefore, all of us, equally stand under God's just condemnation. So, again, from Revelation, uh, there is this image of all of the people of earth, all the kings, all the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, hidden caves and among the rocks of the mountains, you know, fear in fear of God's judgment. Um, this is also an inclusive image that we are all alike under the just condemnation of God, whether we're rich or poor. Um, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible is inclusive in its condemnation of human beings for our rapacious behavior, our abuse of the world and of each other, and our lack of concern for the poor, our disrespect for our maker. Uh, We all stand under the just judgment of God. And we can't come into the presence of God unless that somehow that judgment is dealt with and taken away. Well, this leads on to a perhaps more positive message of inclusivity that we are all equally offered forgiveness. This is point four. We're all equally offered forgiveness. And although we are all sinful, we're all alike in our sinfulness, God loves you and offers each one, each person, the opportunity to be his friend and to be adopted as his child. And therefore, it is open to anyone to enter into God's presence and be with him through Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in John three, sixteen, which some have said is the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice how inclusive that language is. Whoever believes in him uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. We're all offered this um, fantastic gift of salvation. And anyone in the world can accept that offer. Well, there's probably not time to unpack fully how that offer works. But briefly, we can say that we've looked at the, uh, the, the way that all of us are justly under the condemnation of God. And, and therefore, our sins are like a massive debt that we cannot repay. We have trespassed against God, and justice requires punishment. And that punishment is our own everlasting separation from God, who is holy, because we're not holy. Uh, we are not able to enter into his presence. But it is possible, in God's mercy, for all of our sins to be atoned for if somebody who is completely righteous and without sin should die in our place. And that is what Jesus did. So if you turn over the white sheet in Romans four twenty-five, speaking of Jesus Christ, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus Christ died for everybody. He, his death is capable of taking away all of our sins 
We just have to claim that gift for ourselves. So in Jesus Christ, God himself became incarnate as a man. He lived the perfect life of obedience to his own commands. He was unjustly condemned as a criminal and executed. Um, But in his death, he took the punishment that each one of us deserves. And because Jesus is sinless, he is able to offer his death in place of each one of us. So none of us need to be condemned. Look what it says in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we earn through our conduct is death. What God offers us as a gift to everybody is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's a free gift that's made, uh, an offer that's made to each one of us equally. And it's a gift which we don't earn. Um, Jesus gave lots of stories about this. I'm not going to read it, but the one in Matthew 18 is one of these about a guy who owed a huge sum of money couldn't repay it and had his debt cancelled. That is an image of God's forgiveness of each one of us. So the Bible is inclusive because the offer of life in Christ is offered to everyone and no one is excluded. Um, Now, is it an offer that anyone can accept, however, so that you have a choice, don't you? Like all gifts, uh, you have a choice as to whether you accept it and not everybody accepts this gift. So in a sense, it's not inclusive, is it? For them because they've chosen not to accept it. So an example of this could be um, many of the flights. There's lots of flights leaving Heathrow today, and I am not on any of them. Um, maybe I could have got on one, but I chose not to. I chose to come here, and here I am. But I'm not on a flight leaving for somewhere exotic. So in a sense, none of those flights are fully inclusive, are they? Because I'm not on them. But I could have. I could have booked. I mean, there were places. There were places available, um, but I didn't. And it's the same, in a way, with this offer of salvation that God makes to each one of us. You have a choice. Many people have reasons for not accepting this gift, and those are personal to you you if you have them. Uh, And some reasons are better than others, perhaps. But one not very good reason is where you've never really looked into it. Uh, That's, I would say, a bad reason for not accepting this gift. So you've never read a gospel or you've never even considered the claims of Jesus Christ. I'm assuming that everyone here is at least open to reading a gospel, because you're here at a talk about, is the Bible inclusive? So you must have some interest in the Bible. But you will also know people who perhaps don't have an interest, and, and you know they're going through life, and they're not interested in considering the claims of Jesus Christ. The Bible is written in um, original languages, which we don't have to learn. We have translations of the Bible into our language, And uh, if you prefer to speak another language than English, there's probably a Bible translated into that language as well. Um, And this is why it's so easy, isn't it, for us to look into it for ourselves. We don't need a priest or a special interpreter. We don't need to learn a special language. Uh, We don't need a special mystical experience. You can pick up a Bible, and there's several on the tables here, and you can open it and read it for yourself. And if you can't read or you struggle with reading, you could get an audio version uh, there's plenty of websites. If you go to Bible Gateway, you can uh, find an audio um, uh, version of the Bible there. You can listen to it. And I would encourage everybody to consider the claims of Jesus Christ for themselves and to make up their own mind about whether to get on board the plane. Because how many holidays have I missed out on by not getting on any of those planes flying from Heathrow? Um, but the Bible's even more inclusive than that because I have to pay to get on that plane. I don't have to pay to read the Bible. Um, is, um, so, so let's look at our sixth point, which is uh, it's a message which changes everyone 
who accepts it. And this is perhaps where um, things can get a little bit more controversial. Okay, So anyone can become a Christian, but does that mean that a Christian can behave anyhow they like? There's a question for you. Anyone can become a Christian, but having become a Christian, does it believe, does it mean you can behave any way you like? And if not, how should a Christian live? So there probably is an expected standard of some kind, isn't there? Because sometimes people uh, might fall below it and they will be faced with the challenge of call yourself a Christian. You ever heard that? Or you are a hypocrite. You call yourself a Christian and yet you behave like this. So people have an expectation that if we become a Christian, our behavior will change. And there are lots of images in the New Testament describing the Christian life. So I'm skipping down to exhibit six, and one of them is there in Mark 8, 34, where Jesus said to people, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So notice, self-denial and this idea of carrying a cross. There is, there is a cost to becoming a Christian. Other images which are used are similarly punishing. So the idea of a long-distance race. There, that's the Christian life, a long-distance race. I struggle to do my 5K park run on a Saturday morning. Um, maybe you're not into running at all, you've given up. Um, but you have a go at having a run of more than just a short dash to the bus. And, you, you know, you get the idea that it requires some degree of perseverance. Another image is a battle. Another image is a living sacrifice. Uh, and there are many images like that in the New Testament. And so Christians are supposed to live in obedience to God out of gratitude to God for his gift of life in Jesus Christ. And so think about those things that God has commanded all of mankind, all of, all of the humans of, of the world to adhere to. This is what we try to do. We try to glorify God and enjoy him. We try to find our identity in Jesus Christ. Right? We try to love other people as God has loved us. So God, what has God given us? He has given us this free gift of forgiveness Radical grace, which we don't deserve. That is what we try to show other people. And we work together to try to care for our world as kind of God's deputies, if you like. All of this requires change, doesn't it? It requires change. So there are several things which it requires us to change. The first one is our identity. How do you define yourself? So um, many people will define themselves by something to do with how how they were born, you know, so it might be their surname. That's, you know, I am from this family. That is my identity. Here are my ancestors. This is my identity. Or it may be something I have done. You know, here is my job. So when I was asked to introduce myself, I say, I am a lawyer. It's like being in Alcoholics Anonymous, isn't it? I am, I'm a lawyer. I haven't given legal advice for 23 months or something like that. You know, that's how our primary identity is, um, is uh, uh, what we have done. But as Christians, our primary identity is who I am in Christ. This is a change. Um, Look what it says in Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 to 4. Since you have been raised with with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we have died, and our new identity has been recreated in Jesus Christ. It's not in our earthly achievements. Christ is our life. Um, in Galatians, uh, these primary identifiers for many people, you know, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, 
These are no longer the things which define us. We are now defined by our identity in Jesus Christ. We belong to Christ. That is our identity. We have a new identity. So what do you put your what do you derive your identity from? Uh, the challenge, if you are a Christian, is to derive your identity from who you are in Jesus Christ. And the next thing is we have a change of attitude. Uh, we embrace forgiveness and grace towards one another, love for our enemies, showing real respect where there's disagreement, um, trying not to take offense at other people, engaging with diversity of views and behaviors, and focusing on God uh, as the center of our life rather than myself. Because if I focus on myself, then somebody offends me. I'm going to take a, you know, a dim view of that. But I don't need to because my focus is on God. I look at God and I think, you know, how can I uh, have an attitude which is about showing the love that God has towards people, towards them myself? I remember God is the one who loves everybody and, and w- wants to bless people in Jesus Christ. We have a change of personal character. We try to conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8... It says, God foreknew people, he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, That's Jesus Christ. Um, We try not to conform to the pattern of the world. Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, So we set aside practices and attitudes which don't help us to cultivate our friendship with God or which lead us to harm others or the world. We're seeking to reveal what God is like uh, and his love towards people in how we behave and how we treat other people. Now, the Christian life involves also a change of daily practices because the Christian life involves self-reflection and repentance and confession to God and new resolutions. And the Bible describes this in one place as keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. So in Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, "'Walk by the Spirit.'" Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So focusing on how we can please God rather than how we can gratify ourselves. So you you might have some uh, habit or practice that you find quite enjoyable, and when you think about it, you think, hang on, this isn't really in, in accordance with how God wants people to be. And that would be a challenge for you, wouldn't it? How to change that practice, um, because you know it doesn't honor or glorify God. Um, But that's what Christians are called to do. We seek to obey the Bible. So, for example, we seek to develop generosity. Uh, Many of us struggle with generosity because we love to hang on to our money. But as Christians, we're called to be generous. And we seek justice for the poor and the marginalized. But many of us struggle with that because we don't care. We're only really interested in ourselves. And we seek to persuade people of the truth of the gospel. uh, But many of us don't do that either because we're afraid of people's reaction. So these are changes in daily practice, which can be a bit of an effort, and they require us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And this is continual. The Christian life is a journey. It's not a destination. Uh, We continue to struggle with our own sin, and we continue to need to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So there's that passage in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And in the text, this is contrasted with the, the works of the sinful flesh, Uh, which are the opposite, really, of these things. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's very hard, isn't it, to see one of these pieces of fruit and to say, I don't agree with it. Who thinks that you shouldn't produce love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life? But how hard it is to produce these in our lives. These can be a challenge. So not everybody wants to go on this journey. 
uh, not everybody wants to go. So think about Weight Watchers, for example. Has anyone ever been to Weight Watchers? Personal question, perhaps. But anyway, um, I admire Weight Watchers, okay? And I might actually enjoy uh, the company of turning up each week, but I don't think I would fit in uh, because I am not committed to losing weight. Um, and I might be especially unwelcome if I tried to encourage the other Weight Watchers to indulge in my secret chocolate binging habit and I take them aside and say, have some chocolate and I deliberately try and undermine their commitment to losing weight. So in a sense, uh, Christianity is less inclusive in this respect because not everybody wants to take that flight. They just don't want the, uh, the hassle. So is the Bible inclusive? And this is the, the last exhibit we're looking at. Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So yes, it is uh, an inclusive message, isn't it? We've seen that it's a message from God to everybody, it proclaims the God who made everyone and values everyone equally. It sets out the standards that God expects from everyone. It tells everyone that they've fallen short of those standards and we're alike under God's condemnation. It shows everybody that God loves everyone. He has offered everyone the opportunity to come into his kingdom and he has done this by himself atoning for all of our sins so that he can offer this gift of free forgiveness, salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So yes, it is inclusive, but not everybody wants to accept the gift. And in that sense, it is not inclusive, is it? Because we're we're clear, the only way to this forgiveness and peace with God is through Jesus Christ. There is only one door into the building. Uh, Have you ever tried to get into a building other than through the door? It is a challenge. I mean, you might be arrested as a burglar, but it is difficult to get into the building other than through the door. The door into God's presence is Jesus Christ. And this requires us to accept that we do, in fact, need forgiveness. We have a problem with ungodliness and worldly passion, and God doesn't offer to embrace our sinful disregard for his rule and our selfish abuse of others just like that. He does, that is not part of the offer. The offer is through Jesus Christ. He's saying the door is open, come through the door. And the Christian lifestyle is one of trying to glorify God and enjoy him rather than gratifying ourselves. So um, Titus 2, verse 12, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So how do we do that? We find our identity in Christ. We seek to walk by the Holy Spirit, and we're not trying to gratify all of those things which we know, actually, are contrary to God's teaching. Anyway, so that's my view. Um, I hope you found it at least interesting, Uh, but I advise you to look into it for yourself. Uh, If I were you, I would have a read of a gospel. You could look at some of these passages and think, well, has he taken them out of context? Uh, Do they have a different meaning? Because, you know, a text without a context is a con. So don't let me con you. Have a read of it yourself. Go through the Bible and uh, see what you think. Um, Read uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, for example. Have a chat about it further. I've said that anyone can read and understand the Bible but reading it with another person and trying to understand it, you know, really working on it, uh, definitely repays the effort.